From the Life and Culture section of the Wall Street Journal for April 10, 2015, The New Whitney Marks a Change in Museum Design by Kelly Crow. The new home of New York's Whitney Museum of American Art has a facade that does double duty as a canvas, a vast gallery with no columns, funky elevator interiors, and tantalizing hidden passages. The features are a blueprint for museums today, as institutions the world over compete harder for the chance to mount crowd-pleasing shows by big names. Instead of courting donors with grand galleries or stark white rooms for displaying masterworks, museums are luring star artists with buildings that they can engage and ultimately reshape with their work. The Whitney's downtown space, which opens May 1st, has been outfitted with an unprecedented array of materials and architectural elements designed to wow artists as much as audiences. With its move from the city's Upper East Side to a Renzo Piano-designed building in the Meatpacking District, the 84-year-old museum is changing far more than its address. The new building's nearly 50,000 square feet of gallery floors will be made of neither trendy concrete nor lavish marble. Instead, Whitney officials chose reclaimed hard pine from former area factories so artists could hammer nails into it or tear up small sections if needed. The museum has a cache of extra planks in case anyone does. A lattice-like grid on the ceiling of the main gallery means artists won't have to cut through drywall to suspend their work. That 18,200-square-foot room has no columns, making it the largest museum gallery in New York City with uninterrupted views. The notion of an artist's playground extends to aspects as prosaic as the elevators. Whitney curators asked Richard Archwager, a conceptual pop artist who often played with motifs of scale involving furniture, to enliven the interiors of the elevators. Mr. Archwager, who died two years ago, created cartoonish wall panels that make the elevators look as if they're each transporting an oversized table, door, and basket. Jonathan Borofsky, known for his series of hammering man sculptures and paintings, was given a blank space on the fifth floor. Now several men appear to be sprinting across the expanse. New York artist Mary Heilman, who makes colorful geometric paintings, plans to use the museum's exterior as her canvas. From one of the dozen metal anchors embedded in the facade, she will dangle a 30-foot-tall pink vinyl panel against the museum's northern wall. Each anchor can bear the weight of a 600-pound work of art. She's also painting several dozen marine plywood chairs in rainbow hues to be used for public seating on one of the museum's four terraces. Ms. Heilman said the Whitney's anything-goes attitude matches the creative ambitions of contemporary artists. Taking art out of the frame, she said, today it's all about that. The museum also is trying to be flexible behind the scenes. Every gallery has Wi-Fi in case creators want to link their works to the web. The Whitney is treating artists in its collection like VIPs, offering guided tours before the $422 million museum officially opens. On April 24th, there will be a midday launch party just for artists in the collection. With the Whitney's approach catching on, art experts said, old guard institutions may have to adopt a similar philosophy, have art, bring sledgehammer. The Whitney is making a lot of museums rethink everything, said Martin Friedman, former longtime director of Minneapolis's Walker Art Center. They're not trying to look corporate or institutional. They're inviting artists to have fun. 
Historically, collectors encouraged museums to create spaces that resembled cultural temples, with classical columns and ornate crown molding to match the significance of the objects on display. In recent decades, many museums and galleries favored an architecture of stark white cube rooms with walls treated in sleek modern finishes. Art prices climbed and donors wanted their museums to look every bit as lush. Last fall, architect Frank Gehry said he wanted to use ordinary concrete for some sections of the new Louis Vuitton Foundation in Paris. But the museum's owner, luxury goods executive Bernard Arnault, insisted he use a higher quality concrete, Mr. Gehry said. Mr. Arnault, through a spokeswoman, declined to comment. When the Whitney began considering designs more than a decade ago, Adam Weinberg, the director, said he asked architects for the exact opposite. He said he didn't want to give the museum's future home a, quote, skin, end quote, whose purpose was merely to impress. Such polish might dissuade artists from taking risks inside, he said. We want the building to look rough and ready. Elisabetta Trezzani, an architect with Mr. Piano's firm who helped manage the project, said she built scale models of the galleries in a Brooklyn warehouse and encouraged Mr. Weinberg to bring over curators to test floor stains and approve finishes. They kept telling me, don't make it precious, Ms. Trezzani said of the overall look. Critics are still weighing in on the results, but from a distance the building does look more like an industrial jumble than a monolith. Panels of steel and glass rise in staggered configurations reminiscent of an aircraft carrier. Inside, elevators move along a central, structural spine with airy, cantilevered galleries facing south while administrative offices and classrooms face north. Terraces offer a panorama that extends from the Statue of Liberty in New York Harbor.